WPSL Port St. Lucie. It's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Smith and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, and thanks for listening to the show today. We really appreciate you tuning in this morning. Got a beautiful Sunday morning here on the Treasure Coast. We're glad that you can be with us. Hope you can stay with us for the rest of the hour. We're on till 10 o'clock live here in Port St. Lucie. And uh, We Are Just Christians is a show where you can interact with us, the hosts, and we'll be giving you the numbers and contact information. We'd love to have you give us a call or text us today during the show with your calls and comments, anything that's on your mind. And um, that's the whole point of the show is really a live interaction. Well, I guess it's about presenting ideas and talking about ideas, Gary, but my name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the one of the hosts of the show. I'm the preacher and one, and one of the elders of the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. And Gary Jones, the other co-host. How you doing, Gary? I'm doing fine this morning, yeah, Mike. We're, we're glad we can be here. It's always iffy when you get two old men trying to get up early on Sunday morning, <laughs> get everybody everybody here and move in the same direction. But uh, we, anyway, we're able to do that today. We're glad you can you can be here with us. And this show is about trying to it is about talking about the idea of of restoring New Testament Christianity in the 21st century. It's about being just a Christian, in other words, here in this century, by going back to the Bible, back to what the Scriptures say, doing a plain and simple reading of the Scriptures, and then uh, trying to pattern what we do both in our personal lives and in the church after the things we find there, and leaving out all of the uh, basic traditions of men, all the things that people add to Christianity over the years, uh, all the customs and this creed and that doctrine and so forth, leaving all that aside and going back to the beginning. Of course, there's two or three purposes in this. We're not going to get into that too much this morning. We talk about it from time to time. One of those is we know that we're doing exactly what Jesus Christ wants us to do. And, and secondly, we, it's, a, it's a point of unity. We can, we can all agree to that as a principle that is really almost incontestable that that's the right thing to do, at least in our view, and we can have unity on what the Bible says about things. Oh, there'll always be disagreements, but it won't be fundamentally, my Pope says this and your creed says that, and we're going to, you know, agree to disagree. You won't have this division in Christianity. Well, one of the important things, I think, Mike, is the Bible itself implores us to take that attitude. Exactly. Uh, basically, in, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul says, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Right. And I've always said, John, if you go back to John 12, 48, Jesus says, The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Well, you have all of these. You also have, Gary, all of these warnings in the Bible about not adding to or subtracting from his word. And uh, and w- warnings of that after New Testament times apostasy would plague the church or falling away from what the apostles taught, and all the verses about holding fast what the apostles said and the teaching that's been given, and and so that's why we go back to that as a call uh, to unity and to being in Christ, and so we being just a Christian involves that. It doesn't mean you know chucking away important idea. It's not. We're not really even here today about um, 
non-denominational Christianity, how it's presented today, meaning we're just going to agree about a couple of basic things and, and the rest you can believe whatever you want. We don't believe that. Uh, we don't believe in generic Christianity in that sense. But we, but we believe in undenominational Christianity, not, not being part of human denominations and going back to the Bible. Now, I think that's uh, something that um, e- even people who are not presently believers or, even, or, or churchgoers or whatever can really come to grips with and understand in a better way. It's about following Christ and therefore being united together with those who, who believe him and, and what he says and taking the scriptures for what they say. And we're willing to defend on the air here to, as best we can with our whatever ability we might have and knowledge, the principles of the Bible and its inerrancy and its inspiration, the principles that are given as far as the nature of God and uh, what the Bible says about those things and the idea of uh, basing our beliefs only on the scriptures. So we'd be willing, we'd be love to have you give us a call. You don't have to disagree you don't have to find fault, but you but you certainly welcome to. You can reach us here on We Are Just Christians this morning at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the call-in number, and we'll be glad to take your call today. When you do call in, we're going to tell you a couple things ahead of time. Number one, uh, you feel free to say what's on your mind. We're, we're always dealing with a delay when you call in, so... We'll try not to talk over you, and you try not to talk over us. Sometimes we have that problem. We're not trying to interrupt anybody. Sometimes we're successful, sometimes, sometimes we're not. Sometimes we are, just so you know. That's the trouble with any kind of call-in radio. And we're, not, we're not professional radio people. Uh, we're, we're just Christians trying to, trying to teach and interact. And so give us a, we'll be patient with you. You be patient with us. We want to hear what you have to say. We're not trying to bait you get you to say something that we can attack, and uh, we would expect the same of you. We're trying to learn and grow. And also, and it's okay if you disagree, we'll give you the last word on whatever subject we talk about. In particular, we want that to be true if we do disagree. So we want to invite you to call us, 772-340-1590. Well, Mike, there there was one other warning that I wanted to bring up, and that Jesus gave in Matthew 15. Uh, And that's that's one of the reasons why we're here. He says... uh, in Matthew 15, verse 6, he says, Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We, we want we do not want to teach his doctrines the commandments of men. That's why we have to go back to what Jesus says, and that's what we're looking to. Right. And, that, and that's a, exactly the premise of this show. And anyway, let me give you another way to contact us. Almost forgot. You can reach us by text message. A lot of people do that. We have two text numbers. One's mine, Mike's, and the other one is Gary Jones. And uh, you can text us either today during the show. We'll do our best to respond to that in some way. Or you can... Text us uh, dur- during the week. We don't mind responding to those during the week. Sometimes we use what you say on a show or gives us an idea for something. Or if you have questions, we can answer those questions either during the week or during a show. So we love your questions about the Bible or about religion, too. And I would say, as I mentioned a moment ago, that's particularly true if you're not even a believer. We'd love to hear from you uh, this morning. 
give us a call. Not everybody that listens to WPSL is a, is a Christian, even on Sunday morning. So we'd be glad to, to talk to you today. And we promise to treat you with respect, and we expect the same likewise. But you can reach us by text message. Mike's number is 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120 is my number. And Gary's text number is very similar. 772-260-6220. So anyway, Gary, I've got a two or three things here uh, that I've been that we've been trying to get to for a couple of weeks. It, yeah, it's five interesting things. And and I bring up, uh, maybe it's not obvious, I wish it were, but I bring up cultural things, things that happen uh, in the news or that I read about, uh, not just because uh, you're, we're supposed to all be waiting with bated breath for the latest uh, hot take to come across the wire, but because they illustrate and help us to understand how to place New Testament Christianity and the thinking of the Bible, the teaching of the Bible, into a modern context. It's one way of showing that or doing that, of taking, of uh, not just relegating the Bible because it's 2,000 years old to some place in the past we never talk about. I think those principles we can learn from the Bible apply to the news I'm hearing today and what's going on. And and we try to show that uh, partly by dealing with these kind of things. And sometimes they're about religious things. Sometimes they're about other things. This one is interesting because it's from, uh, it's a religious thing, sort of. It's from our favorite guy, Joel Osteen. Oh, okay. You know. Our uh, favorite guy. You realize Mike's being a little sarcastic. Yeah, maybe that didn't come across. But, oh, well, Joel, I'm sure he is a very nice fellow, but I have a fundamental disagreement with his style of Christianity and how he views the church and the Bible as basically a self-help book. But he he says... um, this is from, oh, now I can't, I didn't write the source of this article down, but um, it's, it's uh, Joel Osteen compared God to a spare tire on national TV. So uh, that's the headline. He's, he's, he wrote a new book, and he's, Joel is against negative emotions, and he wrote a book about this called Peaceful on Purpose which will help you, this article here says, ward off all those yucky feelings for just under $20. Pretty good deal, I would imagine. Uh, And Osteen appeared on the Today Show this week to promote this book in which he shared some thoughts on how to attain, quote, peace. I think of it, he says, Joel Osteen does, like you have a spare tire in your car. You're not planning on having a flat, but you have provision just in case something happens. I think the same way. We're going to plan on having a great day, but we may bump into some, you know, negative report, some rude people, and our plans may not work out. We get something negative. But you have to make the decision before ahead of time that today is a gift from God. I'm not going to get rattled. I'm not going to, I'm going to stay in peace knowing that he is in control. Man, there's just so many things wrong with that statement as far as a basic (laughs) approach to life. But let me come, we'll just kind of jump at that. Let me read some of the article. Uh, the, um, yeah, somebody just texted, uh, Joel has a nice red Ferrari. Uh, that can help you. That could help you have a positive day unless it gets a scratch on it 
and then it's not so bad. It makes it worse. Having a red Ferrari get a scratch is worse than my <laughs> Toyota van getting a scratch as far as its impact on me and Joel. That would be different, right? So sometimes having the nice thing doesn't help you uh, in the real world. But if, if you want to know why Osteen is worth $100 million, just look at the above quote. There's no mention of Christ or even the biblical concept of God Almighty, just a vague reference to what Congressman Emanuel Cleaver might call the monotheistic God Brahma, a man and a woman. So it's another, another guy out there, a man and a woman. It's, this, it's a generic vanilla-flavored spiritualism that blends Christian ethics with American materialism and Eastern mythology, and he gets to make the big bucks. So I think of it like you have a spare tire in the car. Is this... Is this how we imagine the creator of the universe? That would be my question. Well, so, basically, <laughs> I'll just tell you, I was thinking of the last verses of Ecclesiastes. It says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Now, that doesn't sound to me like a spare tire attitude toward God myself. Right. But the, that's yeah. just good. I, good, good point. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Just that's the last two verses of Ecclesiastes. Right. And and it's an interesting approach to it. I think the big and there's more in this article and and so forth and so on. Maybe we'll come back to that. But I think the big problem that I have in this quote of you're not planning on having a flat, but you have provision just in case. Uh, you're plan- I think of it the same way. You're going to plan on having a great day, but we may bump into some uh, bump into some rude person, and our plans may not work out. We may get a negative report, but you have to make the decision. I, I think the problem with that, Gary, is this idea that's so common in the world, and it really doesn't come from the Bible, is the definition of what is a good day and what is a great day, that kind of thing. What is it? What does that mean? Is that is that my goal in life, to have a great day? And by great day, they mean nothing that you don't like happens. That's that's the definition that we're dealing with. Strip well, away what they're saying. Well, I'll have to admit, I like days in which nothing I don't like happens. Well, but of that's, course. But that's but it, not the normal state of affairs. Is that really, though, what the Bible says our expectation of life should be? And that anything except a day in which nothing that I don't like happens is a, quote, bad day. And that if any event that doesn't suit me at the moment and my whims at the moment is a bad thing happening. And I've given this illustration before. Sometimes we might get caught in a traffic jam. Here we pray We pray that God would. Of course, there's no mention of prayer in Joel's article here, uh, but. We might pray in the morning that we ha- that we that God protect us and help and protect our family and so forth. It's a prayer I pray all the time, and so then we leave the house and we get stuck on US one or on Canner Highway or Port St. Lucie Boulevard, light after light, pe- crazy people pulling in front of us, slowing us down, and we're late. Or there's an, a you know uh, some kind of a jam up construction. My son is one of the ones supervising some of the construction on. PSL Boulevard, so you can blame him. But anyway, and we don't realize that all of our negative feelings about that, that's all this, that's this negative stuff that Joel's talking about. God may have just spared us from a fatal accident or something much worse or spared 
our uh, someone someone we love is late for an appointment and it ruins our schedule. We're all upset about that. How do we know that the reason that they're late and them being delayed in the things that happened was not God protecting them from something? Now, I don't say that that's what happened. I don't know. I'm not God. He doesn't tell me those things. But it's just as likely that those things are for our benefit as well as for our, our harm. And so we've got to be careful, to me, about blaming God or getting God involved in my schedule is not working out like I want. Or somebody at, somebody at the restaurant said something rude to me and therefore my day is ruined. And now then we're tempted to go into the mommy wine thing. All the women get upset. You know, they have mommy wine now, so they all got to go soothe their <laughs> nerves. And men get to have their beer uh, and, and other intoxicants to brace themselves against how bad things are going to be when they get home. And so the whole world is based on this idea that if things don't go the way I want, my feelings get hurt or negative. It really then becomes an excuse to do what I want. And in this, we come away with the idea that if it doesn't work out well, that God is against me because of this. And, and this is the problem that I have with it, Gary, is it's really very immature, childish, and extremely, extremely self-oriented as to how we approach life. That my day has to go like I want and nothing bad ever ha should happen to me. I should never get sick. Nobody I know should ever get sick. I'm ranting. I'm sorry. Well, G Gary's I, smiling at me I, because I'm sitting here ranting, but th <laughs> this is a big problem in our culture. Well, I was just thinking about, you know, you talk about the wealth of these, and, and Joel Osteen is not the only one. My nephew uh, lives out in Texas in a rather large city, and he said the preacher they have at their church flies in every Sunday to teach their lesson for them in his own private jet. Oh. Okay. Well, I've flown in here in a Toyota Sienna. <laughs> from from Jensen Beach, that's a different kind of flying. Go ahead. Well, you know, well, I've driven in here in a in a 23 year old uh, Plymouth Duster. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. We both fly low sometimes. You're right. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, but hmm. I was thinking. Here's a scripture that I'd just like to think about for a minute, and this is from the Old Testament. And and Mike, I, I confess, I like to go back to the Old Testament because sometimes it makes a little bit clearer some of those things, and is actually what some of the things that we should be doing in the New Testament actually look like from time to time. In Ezekiel 34, and beginning in verse 1, Ezekiel is told, it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Now, these are the teachers. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? And you eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool, and you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you do not uh, strengthen, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. It's, it's, it's almost, you know, basically you were talking about that selfish attitude and, and Jesus says it in James 5, basically, in 44. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? These shepherds were feeding themselves and not the flock. Right. Because they were doing things that pleased themselves. Jesus says the same thing to the Jews, basically, here in John 5. How can you believe who receive honor? These guys want honor from 
everybody else. That's why they say, basically, they'll tell you what you want to hear. Yes. And, and that's the problem we have. Yes. Well, Gary, we've got a couple of texts and a phone call. So Pardon let's, my rant. No, no, that's fine. I, I appreciate that. Very good. We'll come back to that. And uh, I want to get to the text that came in on this subject. But right now we have a phone, a phone call. Jerry, are you on the line? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Gary. How are you doing? When you, you're studying the scripture, uh, the two terms that, uh, uh, that are in the recesses of my mind are the words uh, derivation and vernacular. And I think I understand what derivation means, uh, where a word came from, uh, you know, what part of the world it came from. But I wonder if you could uh, uh, give us an example of both uh, derivation and vernacular of a word. And I'd like to listen off air, if that'd be okay, Mike? Yes, uh, might take me. I appreciate you calling, Jerry. Well, you know, oh, man, I'm, I'm a big word person, as Gary knows. Anybody, they're always joking me here because one of the first things I do in a sermon, I put up some what the words are in the Bible, and, you know, and then we talk about where they came from and all that, because I think that's, look, extremely important. If we don't know, and we're going to have a discussion with someone or examine an idea, if we don't know what the definition of the words that we're using are, we could be talking about two different things. If an American talks about a boot and a Brit, uh, you know, from England talks about a boot, they're using the same English word, but there's two different meanings, you know. At least, at least two, probably five or six. A boot to an American, you know, you wear them on your feet. A boot to a Briton is the trunk of a car in the United States, you know. And so you got this is the source of so many jokes. It's you know, but but you you got the same thing as happens with any kind of word. So in general, the vernacular of something is more or less the common way in which a word is used, the kind of the common ordinary way in which. A word is used, and I'll try to give some, think of some examples in a moment. But the derivation, I would say the derivation of a word is more like what we would call etymology of a word. That's another big fancy word for it. It's, it's the roots of the word itself. Like, uh, let me think of, see if I can think of an example. Submarine. Okay, right. take that word submarine. Well, it's a, the, it's an English word. It comes into the, it comes into English, uh, at least at all the, all the way back from Latin. The word sub meaning under, and the word marine or mare. The word mare is the word for sea, ocean or, or water. We would say generically. So we have the words maritime, mariner, marine, that kind of thing. All come from that word. Mare, the the great sea, uh, the Mediterranean was the uh, magna, uh, was it magna mare or something like that in Latin, the great sea. Now, so that's the derivation of the word submarine. That's its etymology, as it were. And and when you begin to understand that, now we can say my dad used to hate in baseball years ago, Gary, submarine pitchers. You know, and they were underhanded pitchers. They pitched. Underhand. Instead of overhand, they pitched down low and under. I'm banging on to stuff here, showing Gary <laughs> in the. See, I, I don't it shows sit, up shows up well on radio, doesn't right, it? Right, right. I don't know? sit beside Mike for these reasons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm swinging my arm around, you know. And, and, but that's the that's kind of a submarine pitch they would call it. Well, now we can see from the derivation of the word submarine how that would apply to even a pitch in baseball. 
Now, a sub sandwich, that's not the sa- that doesn't mean it's underwater. That means it's shaped like a submarine, I suppose. That's some of the derivation. Now you're getting into vernacular. Vernacular. You know, the, the slang of, we might, might call it slang, and there's probably a better definition of vernacular than, than slang. But, uh, well, technically, I just looked it up. A vernacular is a language or dialect spoken by the ordinary people in a particular country or region. So there it is. We might call it the slang. We talked last week. It's interesting, Gary. Uh, Jerry right. mentions the this. Greek that the New Testament right. is the vernacular. It's the common yes, Greek. it's the common Greek, and that's why, as I mentioned, I think it was last week that scholars, for a long time, when they began to really study the the Greek languages that New Testament's written in the in the in the uh, on the parchments and the scroll, not the scrolls, but more like the codexes and pages that the New Testament is written on. Various Early books. Books, yeah. They, they have pieces of books or they have pages of material written on sheepskin or other kinds of papyrus, uh, leather sometimes. They were curious as to the kind of Greek it was there because the usage of it was not classical Greek like Homer wrote his books in. Now, Homer didn't speak, though, the language he wrote in. It was very precise and high, high level academic kind of language, but the common person spoke more vernacular or common language. And the New Testament is written in that koine, which means common Greek, and that fooled people for a long time. Well, this the, is a I just I love that idea. I know you. Well, well, what, what we run into in today's uh, kind of situation like that is. When I was back in school and I was reading basically a thermodynamic text, that was not written in the vernacular English because there were a lot of terms in that that weren't used, that people didn't talk about, uh, you know, didn't use in everyday conversation. The textbooks that I encountered in engineering were more like what you would say comparable to the classical Greek. They were written in a language where you needed to understand the terms that were used. And often they define, they would sometimes at the beginning define those terms. Part of my job, as it were, as a teacher here, is to take things that I know from having studied archaeology, language, history, uh, foreign languages like Greek, the Greek text, and other things like that, and bring it into the vernacular of the congregation here of people that come to listen or that listening on the radio, to translate it in a way from academic or esoteric type language and words and bring it into something that ordinary people can understand easily. Not because ordinary people are ignorant, but just like anyone who's not familiar with any field of study, the, the language and vocabulary and concepts are not not always readily available. Now, experts, this is why sometimes I wink about experts, experts like to keep it a little bit hidden because that gives them a little bit of an edge in talking about it. Oh, you don't know what this, well, you know, I can understand that. Just, you know, if you, if you had the intelligence to explain it to me in some common language, but no, sometimes we prefer to keep it in language. My son's a veterinarian. He does this kind of stuff all the time. Well, I'll ask him, so, so what's the real veterinary word for, you know, my dog licking its paws all the time? Well, he has some fancy long word for that, see? He could throw those big words out to his customers, and they're really impressed. They'll pay him more, but, but see, that's he's not helping the, them. That's one of the problems that we all have. Everybody's being encouraged these days in terms of medical care to, to discuss your medical care with your doctor. Well, 
basically, when you try to do that, you have to be careful that you slow him down to define what he's saying because he has a language that he understands, but I don't because I don't have that training. And so I have to say, whoa, stop. Yes. You know, we got to get this in, you know, just exactly what do you mean when you say this word? And uh, what you find out is that single word usually takes a sentence for me to understand what it really That's is. That's why we use one word. That's why he Be- uses because one it's, word. Because it's simple to communicate to people that, to people that understand the, the word he's using and have been educated in that. But the Bible is, is uh, somebody gave, just sent an illustration. John, John just texted in, I think. Let me turn over there. A good illustration of this in, in how we use words or words that we find even in the English translation. Um, if you look in um, Philippians 1.27 and you read this in the King James Version, it will say, let your conversation be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, we use the word conversation, which is a Latin word to bring across. The word con is to bring with something conversation means to bring with or alongside of something we use the word conversation today to mean sitting around talking about a subject back and forth so it's not a dialogue it's not a speech it's where one person talks and the other person responds and the other person responds to that we call this in english today in the vernacular a conversation but in the time that the king james was translated in 1611 it had a larger meaning it meant manner of life it meant It meant a what? Well, I would use the word lifestyle, is how and, we use that and word the, and today. And the New King James says, "Let your conduct conduct be worthy. be worthy." And some versions do say, like New American, "Let your manner of life be worthy." Now, the Greek word didn't change. Uh, in fact, let me look it up because I think that's a that, that's an interesting word. Well, maybe I can't find it here very easily, but. Um, well, let me, let me, I've got an interlinear right here. Let your so. uh, conduct, well, I don't know why it stopped showing me that word, but uh, in any event, um, uh, that that's how that's how words change in the vernacular. And that's why from time to time there's a need for a different translation. Not that the text has changed, or the, but but our usage of certain words has changed. Sometimes words become archaic. Paul says, I wot not, blah, 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 W-O-T. We don't use the word wot to mean no. Paul's saying, I don't know when he says, I wot not, in the King James. The Greek is still the same. And so they took the Greek words, put it into I wot not in 1611. Today we'd say, I don't know, or I'm ignorant of something, you see. Well, I'm looking at that Greek word okay, now. What is and it Mike, saying? and I don't know how to pronounce it. Paul, it, you... Omahi, Omahi. Why Pull isn't it showing up in my? Omahi. Hang on, let me let me just change, let me change versions here, and see why in the world I can't. It's translated uh, in other places to live. I assume that is lifestyle. Yes, it means that's what I'm saying. It means, it means to live, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna bump into another version here. See what I mean. Yes, it's one of those. Uh, While you're looking that up, I want, I want to point words. out another aspect of this is be careful, you know, with the translations of the words because I'm just going to point out baptism or baptize uh, is basically a transliteration of the Greek word and we redefine it 
basically the definition of that Greek word is to immerse. If we translated that correctly in every place, it would be to immerse or immersion. It would not be sprinkle or pour or anything else. The Greek word had a very precise meaning. And so the meaning of these words are important in Scripture. And and that's one of the things that we're looking at here. The, the word that yeah it it's, that's exactly right. The word and I thought it was this derivation. The poly in the front of it is the word for city, and it basically means to behave as a citizen of something. Okay. So he's saying uh, you conduct yourself like a good citizen in general, but that's not but that doesn't mean anything in the New Testament context. That's why he's saying it's a lifestyle. Citizens of Greece and Rome are. Were, and they, if they were citizens of the Roman Empire, they were expected to conduct themselves in a certain way. We used to have that idea in the United States of America that being a citizen meant something and it was worth something you had to work at or earn. And it meant that you had to act respectably and honorably towards your fellow citizens. We don't have that idea anymore because it's all about whether I have negative feelings like we talked about earlier on with Joel Osteen about that day. We can. But, but this is the idea. But the point of the, co- of the conversation, as it were, there's the point of the conversation, is what does conversation mean in the King James? And so that's the difference between uh, the common usage. The common usage of words changes all the time. Words, some words are new words. Some words come into being. Some words change definition. And then you've got uh, uh, you've got to go back and reassess what does the Bible word have to say. Sometimes these Bible words are parts of an idiom or something that was unique to that particular culture, and we have to then try to bring it over into English in some kind of comparable way so that can be understood. Well, when you understand those words, Mike, let's take a little bit different approach to this. It says in Strong's, in terms of that word, to behave as a citizen. Well, what was the standard of a citizen? If you were a Greek citizen, there was a standard, basically, of the world by which you should behave. But what is Paul saying in Philip, uh, Philippian, Philippians 1? He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. There's a different standard. That's right. That's exactly, that's exactly right. And it's a lifestyle that needs to be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So just because someone calls himself a Christian doesn't mean that they're necessarily conducting themselves as if they are a citizen of heaven or, or uh, of the, according to the gospel of Christ. And so in any event, the question about etymology and vernacular and derivation, I'm calling it etymology, der- derivation, it does help to know what where words come from and i do i now that i do this every time every time i talk i talk about words and now i keep, now i can't think of any any uh, well, the illustrations der- of it well the derivation but, baptism and baptize and baptizo would be an example of that to me oh yes you brought that up yes of that, dipping the word yes. bop, bopto that root right. means to dip or to plunge right in greek and so when he talks about being baptized he's talking about being immersed or plunged into something and and so a true transla- a translation of that word baptizo and and its various cognate forms would have to carry the idea of plunging or immersing or burying like in something. dipping as in you dye a piece of cloth you right. don't you, you don't sprinkle a piece of cloth with dye or pour the dye over it you you dip, dip it, it in there and and that's how it's done or it was it he 
uh, it was used for all manner of things, even dipping biscuits in gravy, as it were. And yet, because of the controversy, so so to in Greek, let me just say this to those who are, in in Greek in the New Testament, there isn't really a controversy about whether baptism is about immersion or not. Well, there never was there in the never first century. W- no, there wasn't in the first century, and there really isn't in the Greek language. Right. The controversy comes because men decided centuries later that dipping, being dipped in water was inconvenient, and I can give you historical quotes on that where they say that it was a triumph, getting away from immersion was a triumph of common sense over tradition, that they began to change it. And so by the time you get to 1611 or thereabouts, when the English versions we have today were being formulated in and, and, and a basic way, it was controversial to say that to translate that word immerse because the Church of England wasn't immersing anybody and neither was the Catholic Church immersing anybody anymore. They were sprinkling people, which is a different Greek word altogether. And if the Holy Spirit had meant that sprinkling was okay, it would have used that word, not baptizo. It would have used rontizo. Well, and the, the other aspect of that is we go back to the, I believe it's in the Roman and, Col- and Corinthian letters, what's baptism a mimic of, if you will, for lack of a better term, a mimic? It's a mimic of a burial and a resurrection. Right. You don't just sprinkle dirt over somebody to bury them. Right. And that's why the baptism is called a burial, and they both went down the water, and then he dipped him or plunged him. And and truth is, the people who, understand, who know Greek know this, very difference in the words, and they're clear about that. But because there was a controversy as to what men were already practicing, the church officials, they decided to simply transliterate the word, not to translate the word. They want to translate. So they took the the, the beta and the alpha and the theta, and they made baptizo rather than translate the word immerse or plunge or bury. And so now then it comes into English, and so when you read the, you read the English dictionary today, if you went to Miriam's and looked up baptism, you would see it means to, to bury, to sprinkle, or to pour. You know, and you'd, you'd see it means all three in the way it's used today. What we are trying to do is go back to what the Bible said in the first place, and that's why etymology and derivation are important. Go back to what it said in the first place and apply that true meaning of the word and true, get a true translation of those words in our language. So, so I would like our listeners to change your mind about how you read that word. Whenever you read baptize, baptism, Think bury, or immerse, it yeah. means immerse. It does not mean sprinkle or pour. It means immerse. That's, and so when Jesus says in John 12, 48, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Baptizo is the word that was written that Jesus right. used. So you need to, you need to, it takes a little bit of study to figure that out. And you can see in the context in which it's used in the New Testament in several places in the, in the text, examples what it and, means and, yes. by looking at it. But in any event, that's important. Uh, John uh, texted in, uh, he says, uh, without this word conversation, I appreciate John giving this illustration because I think it's a good one. Without study, you would think it has to do with what you say. I have whole sermons he's heard using Philippians 1.27 to preach against swearing or dirty jokes. Well, LOL. Well, that's true that swearing or dirty jokes are not 
part of the lifestyle of a Christian. But the word conversation there is not talking about simply what you say, but it's a whole manner of life, a whole way of life. And you would understand that if you read the New King James, which says your conduct, which includes more than conversation, okay? In the American standard, not even the New American standard, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, okay? The English Standard Version... Let me get that. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So none of the three primary ones that I generally use translated as conversation because the vernacular of the word has changed some. Right. Uh, I, I, I believe that's the way we should understand it. Let your conduct, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Now, would that include your conversation? Certainly, I believe it does. Well, but yes, it, that's it, what I say. It's part of a person's, as it were, lifestyle, but it certainly doesn't mean just that. Now, then there's another verse in First Thessalonians about avoiding the very appearance of evil. Yes. And the word appearance there, and that, that's a case where you just have to understand the meaning of it. Oh, I, 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 John's text reminded me of how it's here or this voice verse used, that if you say you're supposed to avoid the very appearance of evil, and you use the King James translation there, you, you would say you have to avoid anything that looks like it might be evil. Okay? It looks like it could be evil, since and since it looks like or appears that it might be evil, then you have to uh, do... It's in First Thessalonians 5.22 abstain from all appearance of evil. So you can't do anything that looks like it might be wrong. That's not what that means at all. That's a case where the word appearance means two different things. The appearance of something is how it looks on the outside, so it looks like something else. But it also means wherever it appears. So he made an appearance at the party. And so this is saying in this verse, abstain from, and most newer versions say, abstain from every form, form of, of evil. evil. Where, wherever, in whatever form evil appears, abstain from it. And so that's, that's a warning against people saying, well, I'm not in church, so I can swear, you know, or, or wherever you see it, in whatever form it appears in. And that's a, that, that verse helps us really apply uh, the scriptures to today. People say, well, there wasn't an Internet in the, in the New Testament times, so we really can't, uh, you really can't tell me what I can and can't do on the Internet because there was no Internet back then. They couldn't even conceive of an Internet, so therefore the rules don't apply. And yeah. I, can, I can, if I'm using my other persona, as young people have, I can do this and say this and say that. No, whatever form evil appears in, whether it's electronic form or not, you need to abstain from that as a Christian. Stay away from it. Does your does I would ask the question, does what you do on the Internet, is that included? And therefore, uh, basically, he says, your conduct, that's part well, of yes. your conduct. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't it doesn't go away just because you moved somewhere else. This is the um, this is the interesting part of, of looking at the Bible. People are uh, people. Well, and I think it's part of what Paul is saying that those with a reprobate mind cannot understand the Bible. It isn't that that the Bible is written in some strange language. 
they don't want to know what it actually says or dig any deeper than their first glance at something. And therefore, they can't understand what's really being talked about because, essentially, they don't want to. That's what Jesus is saying. You, you will to do the will of your father, the devil, and therefore you can't understand my words in, yeah, in the, John 8. The, the problem is there are probably a lot of people out there that do not like that idea. What, what, which idea? The idea that our conduct, we are responsible oh, sure. for what we do. All the time. That, that's, that's a common attitude out there. I don't like that, so I don't have to do it. It's interesting to me that, that the people who complain because in the church there are hypocrites, many of the same people, and there are phonies in the church, which there are, and which you've heard on this show, and you've heard from this pulpit, how much we detest that situation and try to fight that situation because it's very destructive. But those same people that are upset about Christians looking one way in church and another way in real life, they're the same people that have no problem ha having a persona online and a persona at work and a persona at home, all under different screen names sometimes and all under different guises. And they have no problem altering their language and their behavior wherever they go. It's a, it is itself a form of hypocrisy. To, to do that, and yet these same people are the ones that are so... Now, I, maybe, maybe it's just because... Um, maybe it's just because Christians, if they're going to have a high standard, are going to be held up to a higher standard. I agree with that. Christians ought to be held to a higher standard. But that doesn't mean people in the world can't be hypocrites and phonies. They're going to be judged for that deceptive behavior also. Well, And, and, they, and they don't realize that in defending their own double life, their own online persona that they're practicing a form, a very blatant form of hypocrisy well, and deception. Jesus, Jesus says that in Matthew 15, in the verse I read, beginning in verse, I believe it's part 6, thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. What our society is doing is traditional, is making the commandments of God of no effect. He says, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you. And in verse 9, in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. He, he literally calls them in verse 7 hypocrites. And, and that's, you know, that's what Jesus is saying. And I keep going back to John 12. The word that he spoke will judge us in the last day. Right. So that's what we're here for. That's what Mike and I are all about. Do we always do it exactly correctly? No, Mike and I will both admit from time to time we've made mistakes but we are always striving to understand Scripture I better. I Gary makes mistakes. <laughs> anyway, I, go ahead. We, we, we have all made mistakes. <laughs> oh, oh really? Okay. Yes. Right. We've all made mistakes. <laughs> and, and it's, but we're continually striving to understand what God wants us to do and put those, those things into practice in our life. That's, that's what we're here for. John texted in that King James-only people are missing out. Um, the, there is a, a group of Christians, if you're not familiar with what he's saying here, there are a group of Christians uh, in, I guess I would call them, they're pretty conservative in general in their, in their outlook on things, who believe that the King James Version is the only truly inspired version of the Bible, or it is the inspired version of the Bible. Well, may, so it, they won't accept any other version of the Bible, and they defend that and I can make a defense of the King James Version as being a reliable translation and uh, 
and and the text behind it. I think some good, very intellectual people that I know have made good defenses of the King James and the text of the King James in both Greek and English. But that doesn't mean it's infallible, and it doesn't mean that we. The the trouble with that view is. Well, it does mean the trans- it does not mean that the translators were inspired when they did it. No, and that's the problem. Somebody says, "Well, there were seventy of them, so therefore, you know, um, that was shows it was inspired." All, all, that's those are foolish, <clears throat> those are foolish arguments. But the point being that the King James version that you could, if you, I've got one in my library. I got several in my library. But that version of the Bible is not the original King James. Uh, today's if, people. If I even handed read you a original. copy of the original King James, you wouldn't be able to read it because even the letters of the English language were somewhat different back then, much right. less the structure of it. It's been alt- It's been altered and improved and updated hundreds of times, if not dozens, if not hundreds of times. I'll say that more accurately over the years, and it should have been. That's not a problem because the English language changes, and as Jerry using this word, the vernacular of the people that have to read it change. What's good is that the text of the New Testament doesn't change. The original Koine Greek doesn't change. And then we can update the common language and the vernacular that we're using in whatever culture we're in from that original Greek. I always thought that God did it that way on purpose. Well, I think you're probably right. I think you're right about that, Gary. uh, Basically, the other thing is, I'd like to say this, and you might or might not agree with me, Mike, but I think even if you use the King James in its current printed version, you would understand that the meaning of, uh, I believe, which one was it? Philippians 126? Is there 127 was the first we that. If we compared that to other scriptures, we would realize that what Paul is saying is your life needs to conform to the gospel in a broader sense than just your conversation. And just, we, your, just your speaking. Just your speaking. what you say. Yes. Yeah. And that we would see that from other scriptures. We, we wouldn't just have to depend on that one scripture. Well, doesn't Jesus say... Uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Lord the kingdom, yeah, but yeah. those who do the will of right. my Father who is in and heaven. And Paul says yeah, we're going to be judged by our deeds. deeds. He's speaking that, you know, that this we very would, subject. We would understand that it's not just our speech, though our speech is important. Right. Jesus said uh, by your words you're going to be judged. I wish I could think of a bunch of other I, I've Over the years, there's so, so many examples of this well, very kind of thing in conversation. And now that Jerry's brought this up, thanks, Jerry, I can't think of anything except this uh, right at the moment. Well, as soon as we get off the air, I'll think of five more illustrations of this very problem. Well, this goes back to what, what I think we, you know, Mike and I have been saying a long time. One scripture doesn't give you the entire picture. Even no, it um, it, you, You've got to com- be able to compare and know, and that takes diligence in its study. I'm sorry, I can't make it any other way. Jesus expects you to diligently study his word. Right. And you have to do more than thumb through a concordance on look up every time a certain word appears and then base it on that because a lot of the times the concepts are not expressed in exactly the same words. Words are used differently. People look up a word like conduct and not conducting or conducted. You know, they don't look up all the other forms of that word. Well, that, that's one of the places and, and where so a Vine's expository dictionary can, becomes very helpful can help you with that yes but in the end you still have to look at how it's used you know the word conduct here even in, even in the new 
American standard and the newer version to say, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does the word conduct or conduct mean in English? Well, it's got like a Latin root again, con meaning with and duck meaning like a pipe or a way to go. It's the way that you go. Conduct is the way that you're walking or way that you're going. And that's why a conductor on a train conducts the people and gets them all going in the right way and on and off at the right times. A conductor for an orchestra, he conducts an orchestra. Same English word is is the conduct, conduct of the of the, used in this, ver, this verse as a noun, does it mean the same thing as to conduct an orchestra? Well, yes, it does. It means the way that you're going and the, what you're doing and getting it all. But the, the specific application is vastly different and more, well, in, 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 in the meaning. The, uh, the American standard is versus the new American standard. The American standard is to let your manner of life, manner of life. be worthy. Okay, and so that... Gives you, I think that gives you an even better idea. Yeah, and that's why I would use even my own translation in my own head says lifestyle. Yes. That's how we use it today, the way that you're living. The, it's that, that's not about one particular – lifestyle isn't a word about one particular thing that you do. It's, it's about, about a whole things. range of things that you do that basically form a manner of living or a way that you're conducting yourself as opposed to another way that you could conduct yourself that you don't conduct yourself. It's a manner of life. And sometimes we get focused on one thing that somebody does, and then we get we make snap judgments about that, and sometimes inaccurate judgments. On the other hand, sometimes we see when someone does one thing, it's indicative of a manner of life that they're doing. It's a way that they're living. So it's not an easy and, and language, thing to figure and out all the time. language is um, an indicative. Yeah, your manner of speaking is certainly Your, your manner of speaking is, and... Now, occasionally people make a slip, but if you talk to someone who is constantly using the language that is, uh, how I'll say, vulgar, uh, then you can most of the time determine that their lifestyle is not going to be parallel to the gospel. Right. If they're always using vulgar language or, or profane language, that's a, that's a different kind of person probably than one when you hear them say something off or angrily use a swear word, you're surprised by it. You're shocked by the fact that they did that, and they may even say themselves, oops, you know. But, you know, does it indicate something else in the heart? Possibly it does. But here's a a funny illustration just thought of, Gary. I was sitting somewhere the other day. It was at the State Fair when I was working up there uh, as a poultry superintendent. I'm sitting at my desk in my office there talking with a few people, about a couple things, and I, I was eating a snack. I had a tangerine. So I'm sitting there peeling this tangerine and eating it while, the, while I'm talking to people. And the, one of the ladies there, she starts laughing at laughing. I said, what's wrong? She goes, I just love the way you eat the tangerine. She said, it's so like you. I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, you took it, you peeled it piece, carefully, piece by piece. You laid all the peel out there. And then you took each little section off, and you took it one by one. You ate each section carefully. Now, what, what, what was she noticing there? Well, I think she was saying, in her mind, Gary, she was saying, your way of doing things is very orderly and thought out. That, and I took it as a compliment. I think she meant it as a compliment, but she was laughing at me, of course. Now, 
that's in contrast, probably, from what she was saying, to the way she does things, which is spur the moment haphazardly and inconsistently. Well, so e- does even the way that you eat an orange say something about you? <laughs> I don't well, know. Well, uh, that's a that's a puzzling uh, statement, I guess. Well, here's another thing that, that that we need to listen to things like that, and I'll tell you, uh, I had worked with a gentleman uh, and in our work for you know ten or fifteen years, and we were in a position where I had to do something, I had to do it quickly, and didn't think too much about it, and did it. And he made the comment, he says, I never thought you would do that. And what it prompted in me, he says, whoa, I better think about what I just did. You mean he, he, didn't, he didn't understand why you did what you did? Yeah, was- he, well, his, his implication was it was out of character. And what I thought to myself is, Gary, you better start thinking more thoroughly about what you're doing. Well, that's here. what I'm that's what I mean. I didn't have any idea this lady was even. Why would I think about how I was eating an orange? It's the way, way I do or, peel oranges and eat them. And she's watching this. She's seeing this. And I think she was connecting it up with the fact that she now knows that I'm a preacher and elder in a church. And she's connecting it up with how I deal with people there at the fair and how how I just settle disputes among people that happen there. And, and she's got an idea of, uh, of how this, how she thinks it should be. I had no idea. So that's a real, you're right. It's a warning to you Christians who are trying to follow the example of Christ and not bring shame to him that people are watching. People are watching. And sometimes they make the wrong conclusions, They but they're watching you. And if you are disorderly or you are slipping up and doing wrong things, that they're going to notice that. And like your friends, it's out of character. It's out of character. And by being, he, by him saying it was out of character, I have to take that as, hey, Gary, you better really think about what you're doing because, you know, I try to do the right thing in in every instance. Well, and the indication was, well, maybe I'm not. Yeah, right. Now, over there, the other day, a few years ago, over there at the fair, some things happened. And I got angry. I'm not, I'm not ashamed or proud of that. Uh, probably was, I probably was justified in getting angry, but the people were some of some of the people were pretty shocked because they had never seen me get angry in dealing with a diff, with a difficulty, and uh, so it caused me to really have to think about how I responded. It wasn't pretty. And I, I, I'm not defending, you know, that incident. But like you say, is that indication of a deeper problem inside yeah. of, of, a yes. ho- of a hostility or a temper that needs to be under control? On the other hand, are we going to be able to, uh, you know, understand that we all we all uh, uh, sometimes are out of sync? You know, the difference between a good person, a bad person, Gary, and we only got about three minutes left, but the difference between a good person and a bad person is that a bad person does those kind of things and doesn't care and dismisses them and goes on doing what he wants to do in that moment. The the good person may do those kinds of things, but then has the uh, uh, willingness to self-evaluate carefully and then make an attempt to rein themselves in. That's the difference. It isn't that one kind of pe- person does only good things and, and never never makes mistakes, and the other person makes only mistakes. We well, think that's what good and bad people are. It's the reaction to what you do over time that makes the difference. Well, you have to be careful because uh, I've seen this happen. A lot of people tend to make excuses 
you know, if you really analyze, well, I did this because, and, and it's really a silly thing, what you're doing when you're making an excuse is you're justifying your action that says, I don't have to change what I'm doing. Exactly. And exactly. and that is that can be very, very problematic to the Christian. It's easy. And, we, and eventually we build up a hardness of heart, a layer right. after layer of excuses, so that we don't have any desire or willingness to change. And now then we're in trouble. We've become hardened to that. Because that's what the gospel is doing. It's You don't become a Christian on the spur of the moment. It takes a lifetime to be a real Christian. I, I, I Something came into my mind the other day on this, Gary, and I, I'm going to work, work up some things on it. I think I prayed uh, kind of, I don't even know what made me do it, that God would help me see myself as I am and as I ought to be. Now, that's not exactly how I phrased it, but those two things, the correlation and the differences between as I am and as I ought to be, are the big thing for Christians. Well, we've well, got about a minute left. Quick comment. One, one, one comment I heard in a movie. It was a uh, Charlton Heston movie, and it was, it was a nice thought. You say he found in a book, he said this, this poet said that every man is three men. He's who he thinks he is, who others think he is, and who he really is. Who he really is, yes, and figuring so. all that out. Well, thanks for listening today. We really appreciate it. Hope you'll take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. If you go to Savona Boulevard Church of Christ on Facebook, you can find our live stream services today. We'd invite you to take a look at that. Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard on Facebook Live. We'd be glad to have you take a look. Or visit us, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. And thank, thank you, you so Jerry, much. for all the conversations that we much. had. May God bless you until next week. WPSL Port St. Lucie. It's 10 o'clock time for CBS News.